All right, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles. Um, if you have a pew Bible in front of you, I think it's page 1029. Um, and just as you're going there, uh, we're, we're here for a purpose, right? And so we want to humble ourselves um, before God at the teaching of his word and, and at his worship. We want to raise him high. And so sometimes we can rush into a place and we can just kind of get locked into this idea of like, what's the next thing on the checklist? Kind of just take a moment here. Uh, I'm going to give you guys just a moment um, in the stillness of your own hearts to approach God, to humble yourself, and to be ready to receive. We, we are not a people um, who likes to uh, receive. We like to earn things. And so sometimes it's nice to just kind of press the brakes and, and pump the brakes and slow down and realize that to hear from God, you actually have to be still. And so a couple of things that I want you to do as you're approaching the Lord in this moment. Um, be asking him about distractions, to remove distractions. Be asking him uh, about humility. In what ways, God, do you need to humble me? Um, speak to him of his greatness. He spoke everything into existence with the word of his power. So talk to him about that. And then finally, um, ask him for the will and the strength and the um, ability with the help of his spirit to obey what you're going to hear and learn from him. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart forever. Father, we look to you right now to be our strength, to be our portion, to open our eyes to your word. Word tells us in Psalm 119, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your law. And so we want to see wonderful things coming from your word today that, that spark us and move us and motivate us uh, toward greater obedience and repentance. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we're continuing our series on Revelation, the letters to the church. There are seven different letters, seven different churches, um, but the key is that each letter is not only for that church. Each letter wraps up with a couple of really powerful, continual themes. It wraps up to the one who conquers. So it, it is an identifying statement for us as believers that we are, in Jesus Christ, conquerors. Okay? And that's pretty clear. We're arriving as conquerors because of what he's done. That, that happens at the end of every letter, so it cannot be underemphasized. The second thing that happens at the end of every letter in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation 
is there's this idea where it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, he doesn't say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church, meaning um, this letter only for this church. But each church is receiving a letter that is addressing specific issues with that church. The key for us in our day is to say, okay, God, first of all, individually, what do you mean through this? Second of all, how are each of these seven letters going to address something that our church needs? Um, God's word is, is timeless, therefore it's always timely, right? So we want to be people who understand that he's still speaking today through these letters to us, and we don't want to miss it. So today we're picking up in chapter 3 of Revelation, verses 1 through 6. We're going to be talking about uh, the letter to the church in Sardis. Now Sardis is about 30 to 40 miles southeast of Thyatira. And it's in kind of uh, the, the town, the area, the church would have been in an area of a river basin, so very fertile area. Um, but along that river basin, the tail end of a mountain range, and this town in particular had a stronghold uh, or an acropolis that was built on the top of this mountain. Um, in fact, you can read a couple of uh, first and second century historians who would have done a really good job pulling together an understanding um, of phrases that would have been common for the day. Like uh, in, in Sardis, for example, their fortress was so high and so difficult to scale the walls that if the people of the city hold up in that fortress, they could essentially protect themselves with the right provisions. And so it was real easy for them to be confident in their structure. That right there will preach, okay? <laughs> Just saying. So there's this picture here where they're in their structure. But the common phrase for the day was, um, like, you can't, uh, to capture Acropolis of Sardis. Meaning, like, to get up that wall would be something. And, you know, as it happens, because we can't take confidence in anything but the refuge of Jesus, uh, they actually were conquered twice. Because, lo and behold, there was actually a small crevice that a couple of soldiers figured out, and they would climb up the crevice, and they would open the gates to the city, and then the city would get sacked. And this happened two times until finally Sardis was just kind of decimated. And, it, and most of what's happening as we're reading the letter here is it's a church that's living on its former glory. So you might say, well, what does that really mean? Well, Maybe asking ourselves these types of questions where we say something like this, this would never happen in Tremont, right? Maybe, maybe now we're starting to get a picture of how easily the world can creep in and, and infect things. And so maybe 20 years ago, we might have said, oh, that would never happen in Tremont, right? Good luck with that. <laughs> and so a little bit of Sardis is, is, is even here, and it's helpful for us to know that. But as we're... As we're Walking into this passage today, this is the, the famous passage, the part that we read that most of us uh, would have known, or if we've grown up in the church, there's this phrase in verse 1 of chapter 3 where it says, I know your works, um, that you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And so um, there's this idea of reputation that is so out in front of us, and we're going to talk about that today. But overall... Um, I want to just have it just clear in our minds, this is where we're headed. If you get nothing else, please jot this down, take it with you, chew on it. That, that the difference between repu reputation and reality is repentance. And that's what we're going to find in Sardis, that's what we're going to find in ourselves. And so we're going to be looking at three concepts today, this idea of reputation, the concept of recollection, and then finally, this addition. 
So we'll dive right in. First verse says this, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I love confusing language that we don't really use all the time, right? Like we read that and we're like, what's he talking about? Um, Here's the idea. Jesus is in charge of the spirit, right? And so when it says seven, you see that number seven, it's oftentimes used to communicate wholeness or completeness, And so just think about wholeness and completeness as we're reading the rest of these six verses, and I think you'll see that it fits. It says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Um, If someone would say that to me, like, Doug, you have a reputation of being like super helpful, wonderful, kind, but you're dead. (laughs) Like, how do you think that would go over? For you, personally. It'd just be hard, wouldn't it? Be hard to hear that. And I guess it just communicates this idea that the inside matters. The inside matters. You can polish up a turd all you want. At the end of the day, it's still a turd, right? We don't want to get into this mindset of saying, I just want to clean the outside so I'm concerned with what others think so that way they'll think I'm good. But actually inside, dumpster fire happening, right? That's just not what we're about. And that's what he's addressing here at the very beginning. You look good, but you're not. I'm a sports buff. uh, Not buff anymore because I'm like in my 40s. But um, I enjoy sports. And uh, one of my favorites uh, to to read about and just understand his thinking is, and Brady and I were talking about this 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 week, is uh, John Wooden. He was a coach at UCLA from like 1948 to 75. It's a long career, but um, he had, between the, the years of 64 and 75, somewhere in there, uh, he, ha- he won 10 national championships. That's like unheard of. And um, he focused heavily on character because he wanted to prepare guys for life outside of basketball. He has this quote that just captures my heart where he says, be more concerned with character than with your reputation. Because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. And Jesus has some similar words to the Pharisees on occasion. He says in in Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then he goes on in Matthew 23 to just pound it to him. If you've read that at all, it talks about seven different woes, things that he hates. And he talks about this very candidly. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You look good, but you're not. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Now, these men knew the scriptures. They knew how to carry themselves. They knew how to handle themselves in an argument. They knew how to look good to other people. But inside, they were wicked. They were vile. So this idea of reputation becomes paramount. You see, false security is this idea of what I can achieve without God. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you've ever been in a place where you felt like you, you, you accomplished something, like on your own two feet, right? Like I bought a house or I, I got a job or I moved out of my home and, and, and I'm living on my own and I'm on my own two feet. And there's this idea that we can be people who are so set in our ways that we accomplish things without God. And, and over here, we see John talking about this where he's like, hey, wait a minute. 
Like you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So maybe some good questions to ask ourselves concerning reputation. If reputation is what other people think we are and character is who we truly are, then maybe how does your reputation precede you? Like that's usually used in a positive context. You know, you find some professional, some brain surgeon, like, oh, your reputation precedes you. Your work, your body of evidence, um, everything that you stand for precedes you and you actually have a good name. But in this case, it's not a good name. Like, how does your reputation precede you? Or maybe you could even ask it this way. How are we easily fooled by a reputation? Now think, yes, individually, that's huge. But how are we as a church easily fooled by a reputation? And I don't mean this to just kind of stir up something and create an argument that's not there. I just, I just want to ask us, how are we deceived by our reputation? Are we people who are excellent at serving? You bet we are. But how deceived by that? Or how could we be deceived by that? We need to ask these questions guided by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, we're going to be people who are disillusioned by our reputation. Because what I'm seeing in the church at Sardis is people who have rested on their reputation. They're resting on what other people think of them. Man, they're an alive church. They're bustling. They're moving. Their budget is growing. They've got more butts in the seats. Everything's going great. And I guess just the difference between reputation and reality is repentance. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where it's like you really thought something? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. And then quickly you come tumbling down. I have. So if reputation is something that we can easily be fooled by, and we need repentance at the core of that to, to keep us full of character, Christ's character, then what, what's the remedy? You see, in verses 2 and 3, he says this, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. There's that idea of completion. Remember then, what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know I will come against you. You see, there's hope here in seed form. The person is sleeping. That's the idea. Wake up. There's something that remains. It says strengthen what remains. There is a seed here of something good that can be built on. And he's trying to draw upon that as a way of hope. Oftentimes, if repentance is filled with this, uh, you stink and everything's worthless. Like, I totally agree, right? Like, we, we are brought to a place of repentance because we know we can't do it on our own and we know he is perfect. But there is hope that he holds out in front of us in Jesus Christ. There is a life that he gives us through his spirit, by his power. He makes available to us if we were to only repent. Now the problem is, if repentance is only steeped in punishment and steeped in a loss of all things good and enjoyable to us, and we don't see the promise that comes by way of repentance, that it's not about getting all these great and wonderful blessings, it's we get God. In repentance, we get him. That's what we're going after. And I think when we talk about recollection, I want to talk about this idea that when you recall the good news of Jesus, when you make the gospel your central core, then you're humbled and you're purified and you're prepared. 
You see, about many years ago, um, maybe it was more, I don't even remember. I was in college. And um, I remember uh, studying for ministry, right? That was my, my major, was moving in that direction. Um, I was in a great small group of guys where we met weekly and, and things were awesome. I was volunteering for uh, Young Life at the time. And um, from all outward appearances, right, it would have been real easy to be like, this guy's got his stuff together. Like, everything's going really well. And I remember, um, for the most part, I felt that way. And I'm reminded just how quickly that changes. And I don't know if I can actually relay the story perfectly, but, but I'll, I'll just put it this way. I remember um, being home, and it was over the summer, and um, some of you guys remember dial-up internet, anybody? Like, hand in the air? Like, you get the, like, the beep, 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 you know, and then you're, it's gonna take eight minutes to load the weather. But um, now you guys, you, you don't even have any idea what it's like. You whip out your iPhone and you can get whatever you want. <clears throat> but the fact remains, I'm home and, um, and I, uh, true story, true confession, thing I shouldn't have, okay? And um, my dad found out because dad's like a freaking bloodhound, okay? And he will find anything. And um, like he'll sniff out a lie from a mile away. <clears throat> but here's the deal. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains, keep it, repent. That's what you're seeing happen here. Do you know what my dad did? This is powerful. I come home from work that afternoon, and he's got like a little printout or something, and he's got it like sitting on the table. And I come, I come like walking in, and he's just, he's just sitting there, right? He's, just, he's, he's sitting down in his chair, and, and he's waiting, and I come walking in. He's just like, have a seat. Just come sit down. And he, goes, he just takes the paper, and he turns it around. And it's got like the website address. Not something you want your pops to see, right? Let's just be real. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there and he's sitting across the table from me. He slides it across. And he goes, I, I want you to know something. Okay? Um, there is forgiveness. And there is repentance. But there also is like a will to change those things, right? And, and I know that you think you're doing really well because you're in school and you're studying and you know more of the Bible than me. That was a little bit of a gut check. And then, um, and then he just turned to like, will, will that be something that you'll actually repent from? Like he's not gonna twist my arm into obedience. He's not gonna beat the hammer of the truth of scripture. He's gonna let me know what it looks like to be someone who recalls that there is good news, that God came to free me from sin. And, and can, can I just tell you, when he says that, he's aiming at this idea of, he's pointing out a direction like, look, if you continue this path, here's what awaits you. I don't know if you're living in that spot. I don't know if you're in that spot where you're just dabbling, right? You're just comfortable. You're just complacent. You're just like, obedience, meh, I don't know. My dad sat my tail down <laughs> and he looked me in the eye and he told me how to find forgiveness and he told me how to find redemption. And my life could have taken a wildly different path of self-indulgence and greed and all about me but it didn't because someone loved me enough to say, I want you to recollect what God has done for you. 
I want you to recollect the gospel. I want you to understand that you are forgiven, that you are clean. If you read Ephesians, you see this picture in Ephesians 1, that you are holy and chosen and blameless and predestined and adopted and loved and chosen and forgiven and redeemed. Like those are all about you because of God's work. And so that is what moves us toward being repentance on a regular basis. Repentance that's found in that is what really changes you. It, it makes you move from this idea of my reputation and being so concerned about my reputation to being understanding of the character of God and what I want to cultivate in my life, knowing it's only possible by his spirit. So maybe truth to life, let's ask ourselves some questions. In what areas is God calling you to wake up? Because there's something there, right? If you're a believer and you've named Jesus as your savior, there's something in seed form that's in you. Even if you're walking in sin, there's something in seed form. And he's saying, wake up with that. What is it? Does that mean that you need to have a conversation with some people who you're close in life with, who can walk with you and help you? I don't know. Maybe this question might be a little bit easier to, to think about, but harder to accomplish. Does fear or loss of comfort play a role in your pursuit of obedience? Because when I start to think of Sardis, I see a church where everything is going well and everybody from the outside is like, oh, Sardis, they're the mega church. They're doing super well. They've got a great budget. They've got all these things happening, all these different ministries inside dead. That's what's happening there. Everybody would have thought from the outside. That's the case. And so I think when I go to pursue obedience, if I'm more concerned about what it's going to cost me, hear me, obedience costs everything. For Jesus, it cost him his life. But he actually determined that his life was, <laughs> was like worth giving to obey. Have you ever thought about that? You're like, well, I might lose my job. So? Like, if I come clean, I'm not so sure my wife would still want to be married to me. You'd rather live with a cloud over your head? What is it? You see, in Philemon, <clears throat> short book, Philemon chapter 1, verses 4 through 7 say this. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I heard I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now listen to this in verse six. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And then he goes on. But think of that for just a moment. There's actually one translation that says that I, that I pray that you may be effective in sharing your faith so you'll understand every good thing that you have in Christ. Listen, if you are a bottom dweller and, and your repentance is of how lousy you are and you're, not, and you're not moving toward other people to share how his good news has saved you and shaped you and moved you, then guess what? Like you're always going to be stuck in these same patterns. When Paul says, I pray that you may be effective in sharing your faith so you'll understand every good thing that is in you for the sake of Christ, he's saying, it's my blood that saves you, but it's your testimony that keeps you moving and keeps you going. So your testimony is not just something that you give when you become a member here at NCF or when you, when you get saved. Your testimony is like, what did he do this week? What did he do this week that made him great in your eyes? 
What did he do this morning that made you go, man, I magnify Christ. Why sing worship songs? That's the key. So I guess maybe easily enough for me, because, you know, I thought about this more than you guys did this week, is uh, I just need to say thanks, Dad. Thanks for sitting me down. Thanks for pointing me to Jesus. And thanks for affecting the trajectory of my life because you weren't afraid of a hard conversation. Those are the types of things that we need. Those are the things that give me reason to praise my God. Now, one verses four through six says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white. Now when he's talking about soiled their garments, Sardis was known for like a white wool and, and dying of wool trade. Like they, that's what got them a lot of wealth. And so it's like a play on words of the thing that got you a lot of money. <laughs> um, I want you to understand that you've, you've actually, you've been cautious. He, it's, it's an idea of like how cautious and helpful these people have been. They haven't bowed to something. So you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers, there it is, will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never come out from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says, the churches. So just real quickly, this idea of recognition is critical. And, and I just put it this way, there's a separate little idea there that all of heaven will know our purity and victory because Jesus says so. It has this picture of almost like a heavenly council, right? Where he's, he's talking about like, I'll confess your name before my father and before his angels. There's like a whole crowd watching. You're like, where did this happen before? Uh, a lot of times. Like it happened at creation when God is creating and God actually had already created the angels. We don't really see Genesis 1, but you got to pay attention to scripture. So in Genesis 1, he creates everything, but he's already produced a following. <laughs> he's got all these angels behind him and they're, they're watching everything. You see it play out in the book of Job that the Satan or Satan comes in with his, uh, with his demons and he comes into like a council, like a little bit of a meeting where there's like a group, you know, and here's God with all of his angels and, and he's asking permission about what he can do to someone. And so you see these pictures all throughout scripture where um, this confession, where he will confess my name, my name, your name, before God and before the angels. Holy cow, that feels a little uneasy, doesn't it? Like when you're, when you're in this place of darkness and you're walking in sin and you're struggling and then all of a sudden you turn in repentance and God's like, yes, I want you to understand, I'm gonna confess your name before all these. But like I'm gonna confess your name in commendation. Just picture the scene for a minute. Before all of heaven, God and his angels, Jesus is saying, Doug is with me. That's humbling. That is so humbling. And it's, it, it ought to turn my heart in terms of behavior toward him. It ought to change me. It talks about this idea of we're walking in white. And what he's referencing is a victory parade. Ancient Roman uh, captors would have this huge parade uh, and they would clothe the victors in white and they would, they would make known this great victory as they paraded through the town. 
And you're like, well, how does this actually help us? Well, if you look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. How, how often? Always. He doesn't partially, he doesn't kind of, he doesn't once in a while, he doesn't on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Like he always leads you in procession in Christ. And through us, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. It's important. You see, from a truth to life perspective, repentance keeps me from being disillusioned with my reputation. And instead, it helps me to focus on character. You see, most of us have what we call a fear of man issue. I'm really concerned. Like, I like Logan more a lot, but I'm also really kind of like, I want Logan to like me back. And sometimes, if I want Logan to like me back, I might fudge the truth a little bit, or I might um, not confess my need or the sin or the, because I want Logan to think well of me. I want Logan to go, hey, there's, there's, there's somebody, like, he's one of the ministers here. Like, we, I want him to think, Right? And that's how we can handle our confession then can be jammed up because we're too concerned about what he thinks of me. And that's what we see happening in Sardis. It's just more of a concern in that light. And, and John is telling us, or rather the Spirit of God through John is telling us just simply this. Look, if you want to move, if you want to bridge the gap between the reputation you hope others have of you and the reality that God says is true of you, that gap is bridged only by repentance. And repentance is a change of mind, change of heart, change of way, change of doing things. It's wholesale. It's not partial. And it's critical for us to know this. But why would he say all these things about victory and glory and honor? Well, first of all, because he knows that when we confess our sin, that usually shame comes along with it some great and deep concern about what other people will think of the confession that has now just tumbled off my lips. And he's saying, look, you are pure. In Jesus Christ, you are pure. That sort of a confession before God and his angels is stunning because we don't have any, any right to it. We don't deserve it in the least. So maybe just as we wrap up, it's just this idea that the difference between reputation and reality is repentance. I want to be someone who understands repentance. And so uh, as, we, as we leave here, I, I would encourage you, um, am I worried about what comfort I would lose should I confess something? Or what someone else may think of me as a result of that confession? Or do I just need to receive? Maybe I've already confessed and I'm like still beating myself up over it. And maybe I just need to be in a place of receiving the free grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that reestablishes me, that gives me heart and character and mind. Because we're not a people who receives well. It's hard for us just to say, okay. Right, like if I get you a gift, your first thought might be, oh, now I'm indebted. <laughs> I sure hope not. But that's kind of how we operate. And so as we leave here, let's not be like Sardis people who are comfortable and resting on, on the past, but instead are looking toward the future saying, God, through repentance, I want to bridge the gap between my reputation and the reality of what you offer. So let me pray for you as you head out. Jesus, you showed us a way of life that was humble, 
and that was filled with power and miracles and things that uh, you say are, are true of us that we have a hard time conceiving. And so even now as we talk through and think through uh, the importance of repentance so that we're not so caught up in our reputation but we're actually enamored with your character that we get to put on because you've given it to us. I pray that you would give us uh, great joy in doing so. As we leave here now, um, Spirit of God, would you just walk with us um, confirming our identity as your children? If we're one of those people here who don't know you, Jesus, we just pray that there would be a humbling and that you would cause those questions to come out in conversations and safe places where people can talk about their struggle uh, to believe or not to believe, and that we would just be inviting and warm to the core to help people understand your love. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, have a blessed week.